Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's just Sasha and I and a pine book this week. Last week, I gave it a bit of a hard time because my first impressions were all focused on the negative. Not necessarily, but I want to be real. I want to be raw. I want to be honest. Yeah. And there are some caveats with something like a $99 laptop, but there are some amazing things that we need to focus on this week as well. So I've actually reached out to the community, Sasha, and said, hey, anyone who's using a Pinebook, let's talk about this. What don't you like? What do you like? And what are you using yours for? So today we're going to be looking at that and maybe, just maybe, a $99 laptop would fit very, very nicely in your backpack. Uh, Also, we're going to be talking about how I was not interviewing, but I was the subject of an interview this week. And I'll tell you how you can listen. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. You can tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players... For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. You weren't lying. I feel like you're yelling at me. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have this projection thing. It's That's what it is. I've got these monitors in my ear so that I can hear what's going on around us. <laughs> it's like, so if you speak loudly, it's it's booming in my I'll try ears. And be, I'll try and be yeah, quieter. Yeah. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm Robbie Ferguson. I'm Sasha Rickman. It's nice to see you. It's nice to have you here. Uh, before we jump into it this week, I want to remind you, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, also... Click that bell to receive the notifications whenever we are live or when we've posted a brand new, beautiful, smashing video on our feed. Now, we have two channels. We've got Category 5 Technology TV, which you can find just by searching for it. Or if you go to linuxtechshow.com, I shouldn't say or, I should say and. And. And, because you definitely want to subscribe to both of these channels, and I'll tell you why. So go to linuxtechshow.com. That's going to reroute you to our other feed, kind of our daughter channel. So Linux Tech Show is edited down snippets from Category 5 TV. That's where the little 5, 10, 20-minute clips happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, So the Category5.tv newsroom, if you want just that, you can catch it there. Uh, However, none of the live stuff happens there. Our live stuff happens on Category 5 Technology TV. So if you want any of those notifications to happen when we are live or when we post a full one-hour episode, that's through Category 5 Technology TV. So make sure you do that as well. This week we're getting into, well, we're basically circling back to last week's episode. And this week is, by contrast, a week in the life of a Pinebook user. Lovely. Mm Mm-hmm. Last week, Sasha, we unboxed this beautiful beast, the Pinebook. Have you felt this, how lightweight and sleek that is? But last week, of course, we were purposefully... I would say, kind of raw and hard on it. Yes. And for those who don't understand the method behind the madness, it's important for me to make very clear out the gate that this 
Pinebook is not the laptop that you're going to send your kids to school with. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there is a method to the madness, absolutely. And we want to be real, we want to be raw, and we want to be honest with you. These are very important things. But the Pinebook does have a very, very valid space when it comes to computer users. Yes. We're going to approach that tonight. First of all, though, I want to look back at some of the not-so-nice things about the Pine Book. Okay. Last week, so, the, okay, just backing up a little bit, this, what I hold in my hands, it looks like a very sleek laptop. It's got the form factor of maybe uh, a little bit thicker than a MacBook Air. It's made of plastic. It's, it feels good, but cheap. Like, right. it feels like it's solid. It, it, the hinge mechanism does not feel... Mm-hmm. You feel that? Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong. It feels it, solid. Yeah, it feels well-constructed. Yeah, but it's only 99 bucks. Yeah. So, so. Let, let me just reiterate that. This is only $99 for a Pine Book. But when, when I opened it up last week for the very first time, one of the things that I, you know, first out the gate noticed was that I really don't like the keyboard. That's mm-hmm. just, you know, that's my real, raw, honest reaction to right. this. Because I type really fast, mm-hmm. and I type without looking at the keys, and so it's problematic for me when I have to hold a function key and push other keys in order to do things that I normally would do on a Nancy keyboard. Mm-hmm. Okay, That makes sense to me. So with that rawness and reality, it could come across as being like, I don't like it. Right. I love this thing. Right. I think this thing is awesome. But there are caveats, and there are, there's a space for it. There's a group of people who this is an amazing thing to be carrying around in your kit. Yes. But there's, an, there's the average computer user, the normal computer user, if you will, the, the person who's looking for a laptop computer to take to school. This is not for them. Right. So that's what I set out to do. That's what I set out to convey. honestly demonstrate and convey. Yes. yes. You're absolutely right. So let's look at what, now what I did is I, I have approached the community, I've talked to some Pine, uh, some Pinebook users this week, and wanted to get their impressions for what it's like to, to have a Pinebook, and what mm-hmm. is the good about the Pinebook. Right. Okay. But first, let's look at the bad. <laughs> let's look at the bad. And when I talked to Don, Don says... The keyboard alone, so this is what we looked at last week on Category 5 Technology TV, the keyboard alone prevents the Pinebook from being functional. I have no problems with single board computers like the Raspberry Pi, but they are out of their element when someone tries to put them into a laptop form factor. Now, Don believes, and I quote, there are no legitimate uses for the Pinebook compared to similarly priced alternatives. Wow. That's Don's statement, not mine. He calls using an external keyboard to remedy the issues with the keyboard, putting lipstick on a pig. Well, Don. Don is not a fan of the Pine Book. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. We're being open and honest here. Okay. Now, I personally, since the show last week, have had trouble installing Chrome. I really want to get Chrome on here. Any guesses why? We've (laughs) talked about Chrome on the show. Right. There are some really cool features that you can get with Chrome, like... Google Docs offline. Yes. Imagine this as a writer's notebook what? with well, Google Docs offline. Right? right. Well, if you don't have Chrome, it only has Firefox. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get Chrome installed, 
guess what? You can't have Google Docs offline. So why can't you get it? Is it? It won't install. Huh? It's not available as an. Ins- it's not available in the package managers. It's not. It's not easy to compile. I'm still working on it. I'm only a week in, mind right. you. Maybe I'll figure it out. And I know some people have gotten Chromium working on it, but that is the open source. Uh, a browser that Chrome is based on. Mm-hmm. So whether or not I will be able to do the same things on Chromium as I can on Chrome, Google's browser, I don't know the answer to that yet. Right. I'm working on getting you that answer. But beyond Google Docs offline, which is really crucial for a laptop like this, because I want to be able to take this anywhere and do my typing and do my writing and things like that. Right. Beyond that, I really want to be able to access Chrome Remote Desktop because this doesn't have a lot of power. But imagine with its 1080p screen, if I could bring up my desktop computer on the screen and be controlling it from this from a coffee house. Right. I would think to myself that that would be the commonsensical purpose for this. It would be perfect. Yes. Like a, like a thin client of sorts, but using Chrome uh, Remote Desktop. Right. It would be fantastic. Uh, so those are the things that I've personally encountered. Now, my wife, Becca, who's an author, um, says, and I'm quoting, I, too, find the keyboard irritating as I am a fast typer. Having to pause and use the function keys is an interruption and break- breaks my train of thought. And for quotations, so think about this, quotations, Right. I actually have to press the function key and the shift key and the key that has the quote. Ooh. So that's doubly annoying, she says. I write fiction, so dialogue requires a quotation mark, and that's quite a frequent happenstance Mm -hmm. when you're writing fiction. She goes on to explain, while the font size is adjustable in Google Docs, obviously, if I use anything else, so Google, Facebook, Discord, the font size is minuscule and it's very uncomfortable to read. And I, in fact, looked at it and I said, well, press Control plus. Didn't work. So I actually went into View and, and in Firefox, Zoom and plus, 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 and it didn't do anything. Oh. Nothing at all. There's no functionality within the browser to be able to bring, like, increase the font size. So she's absolutely right there. Oh. So another, another strange negative Mm-hmm. For the Pine Book. Yuck. Again, remember my motivation here. I want to, if you are not comfortable with these caveats, I don't want you to rush out and buy one because you're just going to give it a bad review and you're just going to have a negative experience. I want you to have a great experience. Right. And okay? if you can work around those you know, small or not small issues, yeah. depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and you get it and you love it, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. So. so by contrast of these negatives, Sasha, yes, I have talked with the community and gathered some ideas as to what the Pine Book is, in fact, excellent for. Right. Plus, I've got my own impression from the Pine Book as well. Remember, this is a $99 single-board computer-powered laptop mm-hmm. from Pine64. You can get one at cat5.tv slash pinebook. But right now, you're thinking, well, why would I want to do that? Everything that I've heard so far is negative. I have talked to the community. I've talked to other users. And when we come back, we're going to be learning some of the things that they say that are nice yeah. about the pinebook. Obviously, one of them is the form factor. Yes. That's really sweet. I love it. 
Stick around. We've got some good news for you coming right up. Before the break, we were looking at some of the negative caveats of the Pine Book, the $99 laptop from Pine 64. Right. But there are some very good things to be said about this as well. Yes. Ameridroid did say the battery lasts forever. Oh, yeah. And look at that and feel that. It's so lightweight. Yeah. And yet the battery, I don't think, has ever died yet. And we've had it for a week. Exactly. Marshman <laughs> was saying control shift plus and zooming in chromium. Zooming in chromium works on Armbian and on Pine, Pine Book. Wow, I'm stuttering. <laughs> <laughs> what Marshman said made sense. Did you follow? I, uh, okay, so if I installed Armbian on this. Yes. So now we've got the stock distro on this right now. So mm -hmm. every experience that we've had so far is based on what Pine64 sent. Mm -hmm. So out of the box, everything is vanilla. Right. So first of all, what I heard there is Armbian. That means I have to install a different distro. Interestingly enough, okay, so here's a plus that I didn't intend to mention. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten screws. They are Phillips screws, nothing proprietary on the bottom. Don't worry, on a future show, I'm going to be taking this apart and showing you the innards. However, on the circuit board is a traditional EMMC chip. That is your hard drive. So you can actually take that EMMC off and install a new one, whether it be a bigger one or oh, just a, okay. a different one. So if I, wanna, if I don't want to lose everything that's on here right now, I can pull off that EMMC card, plug in a new one with a different distro like Armbian, and, uh, and then be up and going with Armbian. Right. Now, that said, the, other, the second thing that I heard there was Chromium. So mm -hmm. does Armbian have Chromium working out of the box? That would be interesting because that's... I really need those Chrome features. On this well, device, that's what I want. Okay, because Storm Chaser 3000 was asking why Google Docs instead of LibreOffice. Because of the cloud capability. Okay. This is not a daily driver computer, but I want to be able to take this to the coffee shop. I want to be able to take this to the cottage. It's so lightweight. It's so portable and it's so destructible. It's so cheap. So if it does get destroyed or stolen or whatever, it's not the worst. Ah, it's 99 bucks, you yeah. know, so maybe the next guy will be happy with it. But it's not meant to be my computer, my main computer. This is just meant to be something that has access to my, my documents and things. So Google Drive gives me access to Google Docs, and we talked about how that can be set to offline mode so that this can now be used without any Wi-Fi. And I can still edit my documents, and then next time I'm on Wi-Fi, it will sync. Mm -hmm. And that's a brilliant thing. So as a writer, as a programmer, being able to do that and not have internet connectivity, to be able to sit in the middle of a forest and work on this while listening to the birds would be a wonderful thing. Well, that totally erases my thought. And my thought was that something like, could you not install some sort of voice to text? And then you sure. wouldn't need the keyboard, it except has, that then you wouldn't hear the birds. 
You yeah. would just be hearing your voice. <laughs> I don't like to hear my own voice when I'm doing <laughs> dictation. It does have dual microphones. Yeah. Uh, which we have not tested yet, but you see there are dual microphones. I'm going to get in here for you just so that you can kind of get a better look. Right. So above the keyboard here, I've got one and two microphones, plus I've got a little 0.3 megapixel webcam. So nothing to write home about, but it does have that capability. So yes, I could use dictation if I wanted to. Then you could say, quote... Mm. This is great, end quote. And then it would type it. Yeah. Ooh. So to answer the question, you know, why not LibreOffice? Because uh, I want to have, so when I edit something in Google Docs and then I go to my desktop, it's already there. I didn't have to sync it. I didn't have to put it on a USB flash drive or a network. It's, it's literally there. Making That's it where that it easy. It just really makes it easy. Um, so let's look at some of the, uh, the comments that have come in uh, that are on the positive side. Right. And I have some too. Strit says that they actually use the Pinebook for SSH. This is a great little SSH terminal to be able to connect to other systems through the Linux terminal. Strit also says that they use it for scripting and a, a little bit of light browsing on the internet. Um, they use it for email. Just, you know, yeah. basic stuff like that. Kind of like what you might use a netbook for. But remember, this is a, a larger screen. It has 1080p resolution. And it's, it's got some pretty nice specs. Like it's got 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. It's got Bluetooth 4. And, uh, it's, and with Bluetooth 4, I mean, you can connect your headphones and be listening to music while you type. If you wanted to, put some MP3s on here, something like that. Yeah, that would work. Kita says, um, it's a decent machine for portable SSHing. So there's a reiteration on the SSH idea, which I think is great. Kita says uh, that that's what, one of the things that they use it for. Uh, and also uh, reiterates my point that it would make a great thin client, something to be able to connect to other systems. With the thought that, okay, so far with the stock OS, I don't have access to um, Chrome, so I don't have Chrome remote desktop. Now, I could use VNC. Mm -hmm. I could use uh, ConnectWise, although with the free version of ConnectWise, I don't get audio. I could install our desktop, presumably, and be able to use that if I wanted to, but then we open up uh, security okay. concerns on our network unless right. we have open, VN, uh, open uh, VPN installed on our network, those kinds of things. So there are all kinds of things. So I want to have access to the... The Chrome remote desktop, it just makes things convenient for me. But to that point, yeah, this would make a really good thin, thin client thin to be client. able to access more powerful machines yet using it on something that's just a $99 laptop. Kata goes on to say, I use my Chromebook, uh, Chromebook, Pinebook for nano and markdown coding. So, again, somebody working in the terminal using Nano, a text editor, to do Markdown, which is like a text. Um, it's not a markup language. I guess it's a Markdown language. Not even a language. And it's Markdown. It's so literally. The, the keyboard wouldn't be a problem in that case, then? I wonder if, right? Because um, it does seem yeah. kind of so, tricky. And I mentioned how my wife mentioned that having to use those control sequence keys and everything can be a little bit of a showstopper and, and so for her. But she's still using it and still really enjoying it because I think the good outweighs the bad. I wonder if there is a little bit of a learning curve and then all of a sure. sudden it just becomes second nature and then you I don't think on. function, shift, apostrophe or whatever 
Dash. But, okay. Function shift dash is how you do a quote. But you know how I love I don't think keyboard, that becomes second nature. But I love... I think every time you do that, you will curse the name of Pine. But perhaps not. <laughs> perhaps eventually it becomes like a keyboard shortcut. Like you just automatically know. Never. Never, Sasha. You're completely know. wrong. Somebody I don't like, I don't like to disagree with, me because with you. Because they put that keyboard on, on the Pine book. And they're like, they'll get used to it. <laughs> I don't think you ever will. Um, <laughs> I can be contrite. Come on. Um, okay. Kitas says, uh, they like to set the screen resolution to a low backlight. They underclock the CPU and optimize the power settings to really maximize the battery life and the usability of this as a coding notebook. The already super stellar battery life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As, as I say, like, so we do charge it like whenever but it has never died and it's never threatened to die and becca's used it for writing and she's using um google docs in order to do her writing because i've been trying to encourage her to do that so that when she then goes to her desktop computer or her full-size laptop it's already there and it works really really well and she's starting to enjoy that okay marshman uh from our community says I'm not a typist, so the funky keyboard layout is not really a big issue for me. I love the Pinebook because of how lightweight it is. Did I mention it's lightweight? It's so lightweight. He says it's perfect for travel. He can carry, he already carries enough stuff in his backpack. Doesn't want to be adding any more weight. This thing is practically a feather. Yeah. And because of the battery life, you don't even need to bring the charger, even though it's just a little uh, wall wart. Uh, but it doesn't add a whole lot of weight. He says, um, I use it mostly for learning code. Um, I don't tend to use it for things like YouTube or internet surfing or heavy usage. He says he's got other tools for that. So for oh, that okay. purpose, he has other things. So this, so think about this. This is interesting because now the Pine Book becomes something supplemental to what you already have. Yes. Right. So now it starts to make a little bit more sense. Maybe we're not looking at it as a laptop now to replace my laptop. No, I'm looking at it as something to supplement my laptop as something that's ultra portable. Yes. And yet, is not a Chromebook. It is a full Linux operating system installed on the Pinebook. So you don't have those restrictions of being unable to... I mean, other than, yes, we are encountering inabilities right. to install certain apps and things like that. But We don't want to ask it to be something that it's not. It is more of a full laptop, as far as the OS goes, than a Chromebook. Right but yet falls in under the price tag of a Chromebook mm -hmm. and has a very nice form factor and a very nice feel to it. Uh, my wife, um, I mentioned she's an author, so she uses um, her computer to type a lot. Um, she does have some positive things to say about it. She's been using it for the past seven days, and I thought, well, who better to try it? So yeah. I pawned it off on my wife and said, okay, I want you to try this for a week, and I'm going to come back uh, next week and talk to the viewers about how the Pine Book has performed for you, because mm -hmm. she's always, uh, always writing. Uh, here's what she decided. So here are a couple of the positive notes that she has. First of all, she loves the sleek design. I mean, look at it's, that. I mean, it, I, I'm not really a big cosmetics guy, but that is it's sleek as anything. Definitely. I sleek. like, I appreciate that it doesn't say Pine 64 with a big illuminated logo. Mm -hmm. I'd be proud to wear that, but every other brand out there is doing this, right? Yeah. It's sophisticated because it's like see? understated. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't care that you're using a Toshiba. Nobody should care that I'm using a ThinkPad. I should choose what my branding on my, my own personal <laughs> possession is, right? So, yeah, I appreciate that, too. 
She says it is extremely lightweight, which makes it super comfortable to perch on her lap or her knee and to carry from room to room with the lid open. That's an interesting comment as well, with the lid open. So walking around with a laptop could be quite, you know, if I had this big one. I wonder if you could, you know. It's not back heavy or anything crazy Mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, you could take it with you and pull that into the one-handed typer. <laughs> there you go. Um, now, my immediate thoughts echo Becca's, my wife's. Um, it, it is extremely sleek, and like Marshman, I find that it's really lightweight. It's not imposing mm-hmm. in its like form factor and its weight. It doesn't take up a lot of space or add a lot of weight to, to my kit. Um, but a couple of other notes that I have is, first of all, well, I mentioned the battery life, but thinking of a writer or a coder, I really don't want to have to be charging my laptop. If I go to a coffee shop i want to be able to sit with three or five or ten coffees and not have to charge my <laughs> notebook and that one will do it here's something that i never thought of before until we started using this throughout the week and so of course i didn't know this when i first opened it it generates very little heat and there are no moving components think about that for a second there is no need for a cooling fan Therefore, not only is it really cool, it doesn't generate any heat, but it is absolutely 100% undeniably silent. Silent. There is no sound that comes from this device whatsoever. Huh. Right? That's excellent. I can can say that's a nice thing because my fan, when it fires up, it's... Yeah, you can really hear mine, too. Yeah. So if you're a ninja, this is oh, for you. It's a perfect, perfect notebook. It's lightweight, and it's silent. There's the new slogan, Pine64. If you're watching this, uh, there's your new slogan, Pinebook. It's good for ninjas. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. If you're a ninja. Perfect for ninjas. <laughs> Um, the Pinebook Pro, which is planned for later this year, and uh, we're really looking forward to that. I understand it's going to be available at Ameridroid, so make sure you use our coupons. Get onto our Discord. You'll see that there are some coupons there when they come available. But the Pinebook Pro is going to do away with a lot of these caveats. So the negative ah. things that we said are going to be done away with. It's going to cost more, but... For example, the keyboard, there is going to be an option. Pine64 is bringing us an ANSI option, which is the traditional layout for America and Canada, where we're not going to be uncomfortable with the keyboard anymore. What do they call this keyboard? I'm not allowed to swear on a G-rated show. I just wonder, because an an ANSI... Not that I would anyways, but it's it's a, a nightmare. We'll just say that much, Sasha. But th- it must be some sort of typical layout. Is like, this, if anyone knows if this is a layout for a certain region, right? It please has, let us know. It has to be. So they didn't just create. My wife said, why would they make it like this? And I said, I don't know, maybe cost cutting or, you know, try to bring down the cost. I picture there was a group of people at a table and they had a presentation. and There they, was alcohol involved. And they were going through a bunch of <laughs> options, and then it was like a silent vote. People just checked off which one they liked, and this one won. And I want to know why. Ameridroid believes that it's an ISO keyboard. So, note to self, 
stay away from ISO keyboard layouts. Right. Stick with ANSI. So watch for that, okay? So when you order your Pinebook Pro, watch for the ANSI keyboard layout. Yeah. So all that said, what is the Pinebook? It is a earth-shattering, groundbreaking, innovative device. It's $99. It is, in all essences, a single-board computer built into the chassis of a laptop. So understand that in the context. Let's put it into the context of something that everybody knows, and I hate to do this because this is a Pine64 product, so yes, let's look at the A64, but maybe you're not familiar with that. Let's look at the Raspberry Pi and say, what if they brought out a Raspberry Pi that was a laptop? Okay, so then you have to think, okay, well, the Raspberry Pi is not very powerful. Same with the A64. Right. The Raspberry Pi can only run some distros and not others. Same with the A64, the Pinebook. Exactly. Um, it, it has problems with certain things because it doesn't have a lot of resources and it doesn't have a lot of speed. Mm. Well, same thing with the Pinebook. Yeah. So it is, in all essences, it's like a, a single board computer in the form factor of a laptop. So we have to understand that as we're looking at it as a purchase. Mm -hmm. We have to know that this is not a laptop like the $1,000 Windows machine that you're going to buy at the big box store, okay? Mm -hmm. The Intel or the AMD. It's not like that. These are ARM-based single board computers in the form factor of a beautiful, stunning, lightweight, long battery life laptop. Right. And so for that... I love this thing. I can get past the caveats. Exactly. Because when I'm using it, I know what it is. I understand what it is. And I appreciate very much. And I love what it represents. And the Pinebook Pro is going to be the next iteration that's going to take this idea, this concept, this innovation to the next level and say, okay, now we're getting closer to something that is maybe a little more like your daily driver. That's what we're working toward. That's what Pine64 is very, very fast approaching. So watch for the Pinebook Pro as well. But this may, may work for you. The Foo is asking where the delete key is. Can I just show? Yeah, do you want to hop on there and yeah. show where the delete key is? Get back. Did you find it? Yeah, I did. It's just oh, right here. It's where, like, above the so backspace would be? Power, delete. And then there's, all, like, there's escape, and then all the function keys, and then delete, yeah. and then power. Function, shift... Dash okay. is how I get quotes. But why so are you doing that all one, the way over there? Two, Can't you just... Three. Can't, is there, oh, is there not quote. a function over here? Oh, that's too bad. Hold on. No, there's not. Oh. It's, that, way, it's over here. That's See? too bad. It should be over here. Don't make this a negative be, thing, Sasha. It, well, it should it be should like... It should be over here. <laughs> yes. And the backspace should be over here. And the... Yeah, I know. So we've talked about right. the keyboard. But we... Okay. I still really like it. I really like I it too, Sasha. I think it's flipping awesome. So, can't, so, so I know that there are those of us who can't get past the keyboard, and there are those of us who recognize what this is and love it. So check out cat5.tv slash pinebook if you'd like to get one of those for yourself or even just learn more about it. And uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up if you appreciated the, I guess, the, the rawness of this mm -hmm. review. I never went into this wanting anything to be negative or it, I want to be real though. I want to be like, I don't want you're, you to go out and buy it and be shocked. You're giving true feedback for what it is That's and also it. true feedback for what it isn't. That's, That's exactly it. right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, moving along, Sasha. 
You ready to head over to the newsroom? I sure am. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Research has suggested that cyber thieves are creating an invisible internet to stop police spying on cyber crime deals being done on the dark net. Millions of internet-connected machines running the open-source XM mail server may be vulnerable to a newly disclosed vulnerability that, in some cases, allows unauthenticated attackers to execute commands with all-powerful root privileges. Microsoft has deleted a massive database of 10 million images which was being used to train facial recognition systems and Google has revealed more details about its new video gaming platform Stadia which was first announced in March. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Research has suggested that cyber thieves are creating an invisible internet to stop police spying on cybercrime deals being done on the dark net. The research suggests that instead of trading on marketplaces, criminals have turned to gated chat forums, invitation-only communities, and encrypted apps. They warn that the change could make it hard for law enforcement agencies to spot and trace attacks. They also found a large increase in attacks aimed at big companies. The study embedded undercover researchers into a wide variety of forums and gated chat forums on the dark net. The dark net is the part of the internet not accessible to search engines such as Google and for which people need a special browser to visit. The most well-known dark net is accessed via the Tor browser. Dr. Mike McGuire, a criminologist from the University of Surrey who led the research project, said that successful efforts by police to infiltrate dark net marketplaces as well as raids that saw many of them closed down had pushed criminal hackers to adopt more secure ways of communicating. While criminal gangs were still active on those publicly accessible mar- marketplaces, Dr. McGuire said any conversations about targets and tactics were instantly moved to secure apps such as Telegram or separate forums and chat rooms. Dr. McGuire warns that the changing nature of the dark net underworld should prompt police to change the way they tackle cybercrime. He says if one group disappeared or was broken up by police, another would just move in to fill the gap. That does make sense because they are cyber criminals and they are very smart. It seems so sci-fi, doesn't it? Yeah. That there's this underworld of Mm -hmm. criminal activity on the very internet. But understanding the infrastructure of how the internet works, and I was thinking about this the other day, how interesting it is that little sub, like even VPN style networks could occur within this infrastructure Mm -hmm. and there's no tracking it there's no accessing it unless you have access to it the dark net seems so like ominous and like yeah they make it sound that way i don't know anything about it because i'm scared of it i don't i want to stay on the light net (laughs) i want to be in the good zone yeah yeah and i had a customer who called up and said how do i get access to the dark net and i said Don't Google that. In the particular industry that they work in, mm-hmm. they, their material could be used for, like, bombs and things like that. So, so just knowing that, I said, 
do not search for that online. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get yourself into some kind of trouble or on some kind of list if you're not careful. So just move along. Forget about it. Yeah. I've never seen it either. But I know that, like, I, I've spoken with Stephen Cobb from ESET, and, you know, he, he has done research on the dark web, the dark right. net, and, and has logged in to, to get familiar with it as a security researcher. And what does he say? Well, he's, he's noted things like how the distribution of illegal assets take place within the dark web and how that information is so readily available for a small price. Mm. And it's interesting how we think about things like ransomware, and so we're thinking of it from the perspective of the the internet that we know, the World Wide Web, right. which is our net. Okay, yes. So the World Wide Web being a public network that we have access to on the internet. Now the dark web being a non-public network that, well, at, at least it is, it's publicly accessible, but only through certain means. But it's also on the internet, but it's not part of the World Wide Web. So it's, it's, not, it's not interconnected. Well, it's all infrastructure. Yeah. It's like, here's the infrastructure, all the, com like the resources... Like, think about cables and everything. Well, what's going through those cables? What's mm -hmm. going through those wires as far as data goes? Well, there's the World Wide Web going through them. That's what everybody has on their computers. Right. And that's what your internet service provider is giving you. But then there's this dark web, which is just another thing going along the wires. It's the same wires, but just being broadcast in a different way. Mm. It's scary, and my mind kind of breaks thinking mm -hmm. about it. I just don't... So I don't know why anybody other than criminals would want to go there. Like what? So then, it's just criminals there hanging no, out in the know. dark web. I don't it's know. Weird, As I say, I haven't been right? there, but I know that there are certain. Like you don't have to be a criminal to want privacy. That's true. Right? You, you don't, don't have be to be a criminal to want to be able to communicate in a private fashion. True. Although it's and very helpful for criminals, that's all. Yeah. So let's not, it's like Bitcoin. People had, for a time, had started thinking of Bitcoin as like a, a negative thing, mm -hmm. like a hacker's currency. Well, no, it's just that they've found that it's really useful for that because it can't be traced. Right. Well, it's very difficult to trace. So don't say that it is a hacker thing. No, it's not a negative thing. It's not the ransomware hackers that are controlling Bitcoin. It's just that's the currency that they use because it can't be traced. Yes. So thinking of ransomware and thinking about our World Wide Web, we're thinking of it in that context. But now think of it in a context of the dark web. So now if a hacker has gained access to a network and reveals that information through and reveals that information through the dark web and, and makes it accessible to the dark web, now, this network that normally would be a private network, like a LAN, right. is accessible for a price by subscribers who want to access that network. So they can use it for crypto mining. They can use it for um, stealing data. Depends on what they find, right? Mm -hmm. Or they can just, hey, they can take the lazy way out and crypto, uh, um, encrypt all the files and hold them ransom. The, yeah, that I call it the lazy way out because it's like, okay, well, we didn't, uh, we're not going to bother... Yeah. You know, infiltrating it. We'll just encrypt everything and let them pay. Just keep it simple. I have one more question. What stops just everybody from going onto the dark net or dark web mm -hmm. and just, like, lighting it up? You know, like, if everybody went to it, it would no longer be private. Right? Does that make sense? No, it then still would be. Would be it's there. like that's like like let's make that in the context of cryptocurrency. Okay. So if everyone started using Bitcoin, 
would Bitcoin no longer be private? Oh, no. I see what you're saying. Right. So why don't we just all just... Use the dark web? Why not? Because our ISPs won't do that. Our governments won't do that. Oh. Right? Who controls what we actually see on the internet? It's not... Yeah. Right. Really? Yeah. I, I, I don't like the word control. But when you sign up for your local internet service provider, they're not hooking up a modem to the dark web. No, they're giving you access to Google and all the, yeah. the stuff that, we're, that we all see as the internet. You've got Amazon, you've got YouTube, you've got... Uh, that's all. Is there anything else on the, on the internet? Amazon, Google, YouTube. Oh, okay. Category 5. Category 5. That's on and the... And Just on the, the light net. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of that. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of internet-connected machines running the open-source XM mail server may be vulnerable to a newly disclosed vulnerability that, in some cases, allows unauth unauthenticated attackers to execute commands with all-powerful root privileges. The flaw, which dates back to version 4.87 released in April 2016, is trivially, trivially exploitable by users with a low-privileged account on a vulnerable system running with default settings. All that's required is the person to send an email to an email address on the machine using injection within the address. If the domain of the injected address exists on the server and is running a vulnerable version of Exum, attackers can execute commands of their choice that run with root privileges. The vulnerability is also remotely exploitable against default Exum setups, although an attacker first must keep a connection to the vulnerable server open for seven days by transmitting one byte every few minutes. The researchers from Qualys, the security firm that discovered the vulnerability, didn't rule out other simpler and more practical ways to remotely exploit default setups. The vulnerability affects versions eight or 4.87 through 4.91. The flaw was fixed in version 4.92, which was released in February, but it was never identified as a vulnerability. What's more, many distributions of Linux have continued to ship with vulnerable XM versions. Mm -hmm. And I think about servers that are deployed in, in networks that I have worked with mm -hmm. companies that set up a mail server in-house and don't have regular maintenance. I, I'm a firm believer in having maintenance agreements, because, not because, you know, yeah, I want your monthly fee, but I want you to be protected. Yes. Right? So I can think of a few network environments that I know of that have mail servers installed that, are, that haven't had me in to update them in a year. And remember that this vulnerability, which is critical, mm -hmm. was only patched in February. Mm -hmm. And never reported as a vulnerability? That seems weird. It may have been that they didn't realize mm -hmm. the, the scale of it until Qualys figured out that, hey, this is, this is legit. Like, I can just send an email with injection code in the address. So, so category5.tv, my, my email address is Robbie at category5.tv. Take out that Robbie and insert injection code. So insert my code here at category5.tv. Now, if I was running a bad exim version, mm -hmm. this, this exploit can execute the code within the injection script just Incredible. by sending that email. It's brutal. Wow. 
It just seems easy. It's too easy. Yeah. That's what, that's what it, that's the problem. So make sure that your systems are up to date. I mean, the first thing I did was check all my servers, make sure Exim was up to date. And thankfully I was, yes, already up to date. Yeah. I mean, I was already there, so I didn't have to worry about it. Um, a simple apt upgrade would probably do it on a lot of a lot of Debian systems. And it's so easy to do upgrades like that. Sure is. Yeah, yeah. you just gotta you gotta set aside some time because sometimes with an apt upgrade, um, you may have some things that you know configuration files that need to be reconciled or things that might stop working and you need to just work it out. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, it's a pretty flawless. Um, right. A pretty yeah, flawless thing. And don't do it in like the eleventh <coughs> hour just before you really need your system. Yeah, right. yeah. Do it. Friday at five. Yeah, every time. <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft has deleted a massive database of ten million images, which was being used to train facial recognition systems. The database was released in 2016 and was built of the online images of 100,000 well-known people. The database is believed to have been used to train a system operated by police forces and the military. The deletion comes after Microsoft called on U.S. politicians to do a better job of regulating recognition systems. Microsoft told the FT the database was no longer available because the person who had curated it had now left the company. Last year, Microsoft President Brad Smith asked the U.S. Congress to take on the task of regulating the use of facial recognition systems because they had, quote, broad societal ramifications and potential for abuse, end quote. More recently, Microsoft rejected a request from police in California to use its face spotting systems in body cameras and cars. The massive set of images, called the MS Celeb Database, was compiled from images of celebrities found online. The Megapixels Project, which tracks face databases, said the majority of images uh, were of American and British actors, but that it added that it also included a lot of people who must maintain an online presence for their professional lives. This meant that it included journalists, artists, musicians, activists, policymakers, writers, and researchers. Even though the data is no longer available from Microsoft, it is probably still being used by people who downloaded a copy. In the UK, police forces have been criticized for trialing homegrown facial recognition systems that have proved to be bad at recognizing people. At one, tri at one trial, it was wrong in 92% of the cases it flagged. That's a little too 92%. high. 92% incorrect <clears throat> is a little bit... They've got a ways to go, I think, before they should be using that in law enforcement. I'd say. And by the way, you can still download that pack on the dark web. So that being yeah, <laughs> wow. Now I'll say this facial recognition stuff. You mm -hmm. know, I don't know whether or not you have this where it comes up. I guess my Google, I have Google Photos, something like that, because Google will sometimes flash up two pictures of you know family members and say, is this mm. the same person or mm -hmm. different people? So I have identical twin sisters, Beth and Colleen. <laughs> So every once in a while, it'll flash out pictures of, you know, it's two pictures of Beth. Is this the same person? And you're like, yes. And then a picture of Beth and Colleen. Is this so the same person? Is that why my phone keeps calling me Mr. Clean? Isn't that funny? <sighs> it just did it for my sister, Mary, yes. who you've met. She recently had jaw surgery. So her facial structure is different. And so Google was asking hmm. her with two pictures that look very different. Is this the same person? 
Interesting. Yeah. And so, so you're it's tra- trying to you learn. are training. Yeah. It's AI. Yeah. You're training the machine learning. Yeah. Incidentally. It turns out. Yeah. It's interesting with two different people who look very similar, like identical twins, mm-hmm. and one person who looks very different, like in facial surgery. Right. Yeah. Because I can understand how AI would have trouble. And how, well, 92% wrong is horrible. <laughs> but It's, c- it's got to be so sophisticated. I don't know if you remember. We used to have a little Spock oh, bobblehead. Yes. Yeah. A Spock bobblehead. Like a plastic bobblehead of Spock mm-hmm. on the set from Star Trek. And I uploaded a picture of us on the show to Twitter, and Twitter tagged Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. He was I here. I didn't do it. Yeah, just like that. And it's like, okay, how did it do that? This was years ago. So how much further has machine learning come that it's able to do that? It was able to do that back then. They very quickly turned off that feature. I think like too many people like, got creeped out by it and thought it was an invasion of privacy. Right. right. Well, yeah, because then they could probably sell stats to, you oh, know, yeah. this how many, many people have photos of you on their profile. Mr. Nimoy. How were you in so many places at once? <laughs> Explain Tag yourself. Tag that, Google. Start using it as an alibi. Oh, no. I was at half five that day. <laughs> it shows on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'll be amazing. Wow. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. But okay. It's funny stuff, right? Facial recognition uh, is... It's going to work at some point. It's at some just point. so bad right now yeah. on so but many yet levels. so amazing yeah. it was right it tagged the right guy it was yeah. a stinking bobblehead mm-hmm. and it did it that was years ago where is it at now but i think about in the law enforcement field the risk that we run is what if some bobblehead or lookalike mm-hmm. gets tagged right yeah don't criminals just wear halloween masks everywhere they go oh yeah right i forgot about that yeah yeah V for Vendetta. It's, that's the way it goes. So nobody knows your real face anyway. That's right. That's if you're right. a criminal. Good thing. You know that we are innocent. So we show for our... we have faces. For we have faces. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Google has revealed more details about its new video gaming platform, Stadia, which was first announced in March. Stadia is a cloud gaming platform, so instead of buying a games console, discs and downloads, players can stream games over the internet. The service will launch in November with a limited edition starter pack for early adopters. Studios such as EA and Bethesda will provide games, but big developers such as Epic Games are still missing. Stadia games will run on servers at Google data centers around the world with the video footage streamed to a TV. The company says that it will give gamers over 10 teraflops of graphics processing, more than Xbox One and PS4 combined. Google is showing Stadia to journalists this week at the E3 gaming show, and so far they seem impressed. Nick Stat from The Verge says he was able to play the upcoming Doom Eternal shooter through a Chrome browser window on a Pixelbook hardwired into Ethernet and plugged into a Samsung television, and he calls the experience, quote, 
quite impressive. He says, I could not detect any noticeable input lag and there was no discernible on-screen effects indicating the visuals were being streamed from a cloud server to the Pixelbook and then from the Pixelbook to the Samsung TV, end quote. It'll be interesting in the coming months to learn how it performs in multiplayer games and how Stadia impacts the cost of gaming hardware considering you can get away with using ultra-affordable systems. Sounds awesome. I mean, what Sounds a great idea. really good. And think about, like, what if I could install Chrome on my Pinebook? Which you will be able to. And then imagine and then that I can actually use, like, low-powered hardware... I mean, think about all the Chromebooks that are out there. This all is of a sudden, they become powerful gaming rigs? What? Uh-huh. I wonder what that'll do Messed to the up. sales of the more expensive gaming rigs. Sure. Especially if some of the same games that are available for, like, the PS5 or the uh, Nintendo Switch. If some of those games come to the Stadia platform, yeah. would it start to be like, oh, maybe I want to go that route? Yeah. So I guess cost will be a big thing too, and, and that will be interesting to to see how that pans out. Because I know it's like uh, you know the subscription fees and everything; it gets pretty complicated. But I guess we'll we'll in time understand how we, all that works. We will find out, and mm -hmm. I will likely have one. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to do with gaming, she's in. That's pretty much. She's in. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that it's a brilliant idea. And I've seen companies that have tried doing this type of technology before, um, streaming from your computer. I had one where I had installed a driver on my Windows desktop computer and then was able to play games on any of my computers on my network. And the point of that, I can't remember who made this software, but the point of it was it was a Windows computer Mm -hmm. and they were Windows games, but because of the way it was streaming the game, I could play it on my Linux machines, and, ah. and it allowed me to play on any device. It didn't matter what platform it was. So that was cool, but it just, like, died. The project just died. Mm -hmm. um, so that, this, is, this is kind of reminding me of that, but you've got the power of all these Google super mega servers, and you don't have to have high power, high speed, high cost. Anything. High heat. Uh, yeah. Devices, right? So, Man. the future is friendly for gamers. Yeah. How does it feel to be Nvidia? Hmm. How does it feel to be Intel? Right. Right. I want to know if this will compile on ARM. Let's take a quick look at CoinGecko. Here's how the crypto market looked as of 1800 hours Eastern Time on Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. Everything is working its way up. Bitcoin is up, uh, gaining $339.29 US in the past seven days. It's up at $8,104.92. Litecoin is at $133.76 USD. Ethereum is at $255.27, gaining just under $10 US in the past week. Monero uh, also, small gains of three dollars and three cents at eighty-nine and eighty-nine seventeen U.S. Torque is gaining just a little bit, but hey, that's what you can expect for these little guys. Zero point eight one ten thousandths of a cent, and our only loser this week down by get this zero point zero two ten thousandths of a cent. <laughs> per coin. Aww. So can you really call it a loser? I mean, it's pretty static at that point. TurtleCoin is sitting at 0 0.96 ten thousandths of a cent. Remember that the cryptocurrency market never closes, and it is always volatile. That is true.
big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Stick around. We've got more show for you. We're going to be talking about how, hey, normally I'm the guy doing the interviews. Yes. I was the subject of an interview this week. Were you? I'm going to tell you all about it. Stick around. Welcome back, everybody. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Been a good week, Sash? Yeah. Excellent. How was your week, Robbie? Oh, it's been fun. And one of the things, now I mentioned, I, I alluded to this before the break, but one of the things that was fun this week, uh, normally when there are interviews being had here at the studio, who's conducting the interview? I'm, like, asking the questions and somebody else is answering them for me. But sometimes, once in a while, I mean, it's a rare occasion, but once in a while, somebody comes across one of my projects and says, oh, i got to get this guy on my show. And they're the ones asking the questions, and I'm the guy fielding the answers. Mm -hmm. So it's a unique opportunity for me to share from a different perspective, from another side of the desk, if you will, uh, about some of the things that I'm passionate about. So uh, Hacker Public Radio, in fact, on Monday of this of this week um, aired an episode um, of Yannick, the French guy from Switzerland, interviewing me about my project NEMS Linux. <gasps> Lots of fun. It was a great conversation. We got into all kinds of stuff from talking about NEMS and Nagios and server monitoring, network monitoring, garden monitoring, <laughs> all the different various things that you can do with, uh, with NEMS Linux, how it kind of it began and evolved and how it's become something that is available on multiple different SBCs as well as virtual appliances, how I fund it, how I'm able to do that and yet still give it away for free. Uh, these things were all covered in that interview, plus taking it one step further and taking some of the things like giggle scores and learning how that works to help us determine the, the quality and the value behind different single board computers. And uh, We just had a great discussion. It's only about 40 minutes out of your time uh, if you want to check that out it's cat5.tv slash hpr nems all one word so hpr for hacker public radio nems for nagios enterprise yeah. monitoring server learn all about that but interesting for me a lot of fun to be on the flip side of the desk i bet yeah and let me know what you think of the interview, yeah. too, because that's, you know, that's a different comfort zone for me, for sure. A lot of fun. I, I do want to say thank you to those who are supporting Category 5 this week. What is different around here, so we've broadcasted live mm -hmm. for the first time from the same computer in different chassis. <laughs> so in order to reduce the cost of our new server build, the new broadcast system build, we have a Thermaltake Level 10 GT server case, like beautiful mm -hmm. like gaming case, I should say. Um, it's got 190 millimeter clearance. It's a beautiful system for a 9900K. Uh, it's got lots of clearance for the CPU fan. It's got a lot of room, and it's going to do really well. But in order to free up that case, which had our old, like the current broadcast system in it, mm -hmm. I had to gut it and move everything into another case. So I purchased a cheap 
case off of Newegg and moved all of the hardware into the cheap case. So now the old, slightly decrepit (laughs) system is now just sitting in a a cheap case, but it works. A smaller, cheaper case. And so now it's, so we are up and running. I've moved everything over to that. And uh, now we've got basically a, a free Thermaltake Level 10 GT to, to build our new system into. That's right. So that's pretty pretty sweet. So I think that was a really good call. Uh, thanks to Marshman for helping me s- select some hardware. Thanks to Garby as well uh, for directing me in that regard. Um, and certainly to, to now be in that chassis, it's like, whew. okay, now we can move on. Now we can start the build yes. and get things started. So thank you to those who have been supporting the project, whether you're a patron or whether you're just contributing here or there, even shopping through our Amazon links or other partner links, that makes a huge difference as well. Uh, but I couldn't do this upgrade without you. I couldn't even do the show without you. But you know, paying rent, paying our insurance, paying our internet, all those things uh, are, are really thanks to c- viewer con- contributions. Yeah. But when it comes to needing to invest in thousands of dollars worth of hardware, which is essentially like a gaming computer that runs the show. Um, it really couldn't be done without our viewer support. Um, so we're very we're we're one more step closer. We're one step closer to where yeah. we need to be by moving everything into that case. And I I really would not have been able to get there without you. So thank you. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can do so through Patreon. It's a really cool way to do it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Category 5. And what's neat about Patreon is you can give just a little or a lot each month. and Whatever you feel comfortable with, you decide. Mm-hmm. And there are perks like being able to, for example, those who are on Patreon. Received many updates this this past week. I was spamming like crazy. Oh, yeah. I oh, checked my, my inbox. Goodness. I was like, whoo. I say that jokingly because really it's behind the scenes stuff. Like if you want to know what Category 5 TV is like behind the scenes, become a patron because you're going to get emails, you're going to get videos, exclusive stuff. Yeah, you get, to, and we got to see step by step mm-hmm. how it went. The whole three-day process. Yes. From the day that the system arrived, the the chassis arrived to the full build yeah. and everything in between. So, um, and there is incidentally on Patreon. If you are a patron, do check out our uh, like our homepage, if you will, like the page for Category Five TV. Uh, there's a new playlist, and that playlist is called 2019 uh, System. Uh, broadcast system 2019 broadcast system when you click on that it's going to be all of the videos pictures blog entries all that stuff that has to do with the computer build excellent which is going to be really cool so thank you everybody um that's all the time that we have for this week though and it's been wonderful having you here don't forget we are on twitter at category 5 tv i am also personally on twitter at, at robbie ferguson and i do follow back so keep that in mind when you're deciding who to follow huh? <laughs> huh? we're on youtube as you can probably imagine just do a quick search for category 5 technology tv or you can go to linuxtechshow.com uh, and you can go and, to, and you can go to linuxtechshow.com Make sure you subscribe to both of those. Uh, We're also on Roku's channel store, and you can get our Plex or Kodi channels. And we mention this every single week, but I was surprised to see that some people in the chat didn't 
didn't know this. Right. So I need to reiterate, if you use Plex, if you use Cody, we have channels already ready available for you. All you have to do is go to github.com slash cat5tv and you'll be able to download and install those. Our main website ties everything together, including RSS feeds, um, the ability to listen on like Google Podcasts and wherever you want to listen. Stitcher. Uh, we're on like uh, Podcast Addict. Everything that you can possibly think of. Um, so you can do that at our website, category5.tv. Thank you so much for watching, everybody, and have a fantastic week. See ya.